Well, this morning we uh, continue our series on keys to spiritual growth. We come to our fourth lesson on surrendering uh, to Christ uh, the Lord. And I hope you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, so let's get right into the message. And uh, just in introduction, uh, who or what I surrender my life to uh, determines several things. And first, it reveals my values. Who or what I surrender my life to reveals my values. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your what is also? Your heart, your heart. You are going to surrender your heart, your life, to whatever is most valuable to you. If I say I value Christ, but never give Christ my attention, my affections, my allegiance, I'm either lying or I have deceived myself to surrender your life to Jesus Christ is to value Jesus Christ above everything else in life. The Apostle Paul expressed this beautifully in Philippians 3.8. He says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. So it's very important to establish at the very beginning of this message that if you are struggling with surrender to Christ, the most fundamental problem is this. You have lost sight of the surpassing value of Jesus. And that's why at the very beginning of this series, if some of you can remember, I ask you to pray two prayers throughout this entire sermon series on a regular basis. The two prayers found in the book of Ephesians. One in Ephesians 1, one in Ephesians 3. And the prayer in Ephesians 1 prays, what? God, grant me. God, open my eyes to see the infinite value and worth of Jesus Christ. Give me that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And that's why I wanted you to begin to pray that prayer on a regular basis, asking God to give you eyes to see Jesus in His infinite beauty and value. So who or what I surrender my life to not only reveals my values, it also shapes my character. It also shapes my character. You become what you are surrendered to. Why? Because what you are surrendered to becomes the focus of your life. If your primary focus in life is making money, then your character will be shaped by greed. If your life's focus is on being popular, then your character is going to be shaped by trying to please other people. But if your life's focus is Jesus, then your character will be shaped by Him. The Apostle Paul expressed this truth as well in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. 
The writer of Hebrews put it this way, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who or what you surrender your life to will become the focus in your life, and your focus in life will determine what you become. It's just that simple. If you are truly surrendered to Jesus Christ, it is inevitable that you will become more and more like Him. Who or what I surrender my life to not only reveals my values, not only shapes my character, it also determines my destiny. It determines my destiny. Jesus asked this question. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The average American lives approximately 28,835 days. If you're a man, sorry to say a little less. If you're a woman, a little more. Reality is, in every one of those days, you are exchanging your life for something through the innumerable choices you make and how you invest your time, your talents, your treasure, which reveals where your values lie, which does shape your character, but also determines your destiny. Are you exchanging your life for Christ and eternal values and treasure, or are you exchanging your life for trivial pursuits? This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 and 21, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So who or what I surrender my life to reveals my values, shapes my character, determines my destiny. So my appeal to you today is the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy to be valued above everything else in life. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of your character being shaped into His likeness. And Jesus is worthy of the exchange of your life to follow Him as Lord of your life. Now, you'll see in your notes, I now simply want to answer three questions about the Lordship of Christ. Why surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Second, what is surrender to the Lordship of Christ? And then the third and final question, how do I surrender to the Lordship of Christ? So let's look at that first question, why surrender to the Lordship of Christ? And fundamentally, four reasons. Number one, it is the reason Christ died and rose again. It is the reason Christ died and rose again, to be the Lord of your life. Romans 14, 9. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord, both of the living and the dead. Second, it is the reason Christ saved me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. What are the two fundamental conditions 
for salvation. Repentance and faith. What is repentance? It's turning from my sin, turning from running my own life, turning, doing an about face of that, and then what? Putting my trust in Jesus and giving Him my obedience as I surrender my life to Him. Look at the third reason to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. God knows what is best for me. This is why it's foolish to resist surrender. It's foolish to be afraid to surrender to Jesus. Never forget that the hands that shape your life are the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. He has clearly demonstrated that He loves you, that He is for you, and He is committed to what is best for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The fourth reason to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, the reward outweighs the sacrifice. Yes, there is sacrifice in following Christ. There are consequences, and sometimes it can be painful. There's suffering often involved in following Jesus. But we glory in the fact that the reward far outweighs the sacrifice. Look at this great example of Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 26. It says, he, Moses, thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking ahead to the great reward. In the Matthew 19 passage that I mentioned there to compare this with, uh, Peter, on behalf of all 12 of the disciples, he asked Jesus this question. We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? We've given up everything for you. What will we get? And you need to understand the context in which this is found. They have just witnessed the rich young ruler coming to Jesus and refusing to surrender everything to Jesus and turning away and walking away from Christ to an eternity in hell because of an unwillingness to surrender everything. They're witnessing this. And so Peter asks, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. We have done what... You ask the rich young ruler to do, what will we get? And here's Jesus' answer. Then Jesus answers, yes. In other words, he affirms what Peter just said. Yes, you have given up everything to follow me. And I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, that includes you and me, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Let's move to the second question. What is surrender to the Lordship of Christ? How would you define surrender to the Lordship of Christ? Three things. First, it is submitting to Christ's authority. 
We don't need to make this difficult. It is submitting to Christ's authority. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, there's repentance, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. The word serve is the Greek word doulos, and it literally means to be a slave. Masters is the Greek word kurios, which means sovereign Lord, or the one who has absolute authority and ownership. So where our English Bibles read, no man can serve two masters, it would be better translated, no man can be a slave to two owners. The point Jesus was making is that it is absolutely impossible for a slave to be the property of two owners because single ownership and full-time service is the essence of slavery. A slave is owned, totally controlled by, and obligated to one and only one master. In the same way, Jesus Christ is to be the undisputed Lord and master of our lives. In Romans 6, 16, you read there, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. So whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? The answer is the one to whose authority you submit. You are forced to make a choice. You can no more serve two masters at the same time than you can walk in two different directions at the same time. To say yes to the Lordship of Christ necessitates saying no to selfishness. You cannot love Jesus without hating the sin that he died for. You cannot embrace Jesus without forsaking the devil and the pleasures of this world. You cannot gain heavenly treasure without giving up earthly treasure. To surrender to the Lordship of Christ means to submit to his authority. And now notice the second point. It means serving Christ's agenda. Not only submitting to his authority, but serving his agenda. Now the second point, doesn't it? It just logically follows the first. If I submit my life to the authority of Christ, I will express that submission by serving his agenda. Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Students are not greater than their teacher, and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. Now, let me ask you, who establishes the agenda to be followed in the classroom, the pupil or the teacher? Well, hopefully, it's the teacher. And who establishes the work agenda to be completed by the slave, the slave or his master? And it's obvious, the master. The first and most basic principle of Christian discipleship is to serve the agenda established by our teacher and our master, Jesus. You know, a great scholar was once asked about a younger man who attended his classes, who attended his lectures. And the teacher replied, well, this young man may have attended my lectures, he may have been sitting in my class, but he was never one of my students. Beloved, there's a world of difference 
between attending lectures and being a student, just like there's a world of difference between coming to church and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Back in Matthew 10, verse 25, Jesus said, students are to be what? Like their teachers, and slaves are to be like their masters. The bottom line, and we've already seen this previously in this series, the bottom line in all Christian growth is to become like our teacher, like our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? It means to acquire His values, His priorities, His attitudes, His character, His conduct. So what is surrender to the Lordship of Christ? It's submitting to His authority, serving His agenda, and then third, seeking Christ's approval. Seeking Christ's approval. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul wrote, Obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I like the way the, the message, the paraphrase, the message puts the latter part of this verse. It reads, if my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. And believe me, you can't be Christ's servant if your goal is to gain popularity in this world. The greater your desire to gain the approval of an individual or a group, the greater the influence that person or that group exerts over you. And this explains the power of peer pressure, of social groups and relationships. The desire to gain the approval of others will pressure you to conform to their values, to their attitudes, to their way of life. And listen, beloved, whoever you desire to please most is the controlling influence in your life. And Jesus understood this. He understood this well. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37, 38, not in your sermon notes, but listen. Anyone who puts his love for father or mother above his love for me does not deserve to be mine. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And neither is the man who refuses to take up his cross and follow my way. To surrender to Jesus as Lord is to establish Jesus as the number one priority in your life. It means to be loyal to Jesus above all other relationships and all other pursuits in life. Your love and commitment to Jesus is to be so deep that when necessary, you will stand alone for Jesus. You will stand alone against the crowd to say no to sin, to say no to the devil, no to the world, no to peer pressure, no to your family or anyone else in order to say yes to Jesus and gain His approval. So what is surrender to the Lordship of Christ? It's submitting to Christ's authority, serving His agenda, and seeking His approval. Now, how do I surrender to the Lordship of Christ? How do I surrender to the Lordship of Christ? And look with me at three things. Number one, 
I am to present my life to Christ as a living sacrifice. I make a formal presentation of my life to Christ as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. And then verse 2 goes on and says that I would not be conformed to this world, but I would be transformed through the renewal of my mind. That why? That I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in all of my life. Now, folks, let me give you the greatest illustration I know to give you in the Bible that really explains this matter of surrender. How to do it, what it is. If you have your Bibles, and I would like you to turn there, turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. This is a psalm of David. And there's a beautiful, beautiful illustration here of total and absolute surrender to God as Lord to follow His will. Psalm 40, verse 4, David writes, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and is not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which thou hast done, and thy thoughts toward us. And there is none to compare with thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. And then notice now, verse 6 is what I want us to focus on. Sacrifice and meal offering thou hast not desired. My ears thou hast... Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, and it puts opened. But you know what, what, how that literally reads in the Hebrew text? Pierced. He's saying, sacrifice and meal offering you haven't desired. My, my ears you've pierced. Burn offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. Now, what in the world is David talking about when he says that God has pierced his ear? In other words, he looks right up at God, and this is exactly what he's saying. God, you have not required sacrifice from me. You have not required offering from me. Why? Because you've pierced my ear. And now, lo, it is written of me that I come to do thy will. He's reflecting back to an old, old Testament law concerning Hebrew servants. Uh, if you want to turn there, it's Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15. And this is exactly what he's referring back to, using this as an illustration to express his surrender to God. Look at Deuteronomy 15. Let me begin reading at verse 12. He's writing this to God's people. He says, if your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, in other words, often uh, a man or a woman, or it could be a, a son or a daughter of a family, could be sold as an indentured servant to pay off a debt. It says, if your kinsman, a Hebrew man, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year, you shall set him free. In other words, the law established that if a Hebrew had another Hebrew as a servant, uh, 
Even if the debt had not been paid off after six years, on that seventh year, he had to give the servant, the slave, his freedom. Verse 13, and when you set him free, you you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Why? Verse 13, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day. Now look at verses 16 and 17. And it shall come about if he, referring to the slave, says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you. Then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door. And he shall be your servant, and what's the next word? Forever. In other words, if that servant made the deliberate, intentional decision not to take the option of acquiring his freedom. And if he wanted to remain with that master, they would go through this little service of having his ear pierced. And God says, once that takes place, it is an irrevocable decision. And you will serve this individual for the rest of your life. And David is referring back to this. And this is exactly what he says, God. You have not required offering from me. You have not required sacrifice. Why? Because you've pierced my ear. Everything's already yours. I've made an irrevocable decision that you are the Lord of my life. That you're the one that I will follow. That you're the one that I will serve. Because I, what? What's the motive? What was the motive of the slave? Love. Not duty. Not legalism. But his motive was love, delight. For his master to be able to honor him. And that's what it means to surrender your life to Christ. You look at the mercies he demonstrated to you on Calvary's cross and paying for the penalty of your sin and breaking the power of sin and bringing you eternal salvation. And in light of that love, in light of that mercy, you come to present your life to him. Once and for all, to follow Him and to obey Him the rest of your life. Now, does that mean that from that point, there will be perfect obedience? No. Uh, A good illustration would be a marriage ceremony. You know, August 10th, 1974, with all my heart, I said, I do to Kathy. And I totally surrendered, committed my life to her. And she totally committed and surrendered her life to me. Have we always... Honored every aspect of those vows in terms of being loving and kind? No, we failed. Doesn't mean we have to go and get married all over again, does it? It means we just return to those vows that we made. To love and cherish one another in any and every circumstance. And same thing in our relationship with Christ. So, how do I surrender to the Lordship of Christ? It begins by presenting my life to Christ as a living sacrifice. And by the way, I lay that living sacrifice on the altar of the cross. You need to understand when Jesus shed his blood on that cross for the penalty of your sin, that he literally transformed the cross into an altar. 
into an altar that's been sanctified by His blood. So when I lay my sacrifice on the altar of the cross, the only reason it's found acceptable, the only reason God says it's holy is because of that blood that has sanctified that altar. And God says whoever touches the altar, sanctified by the blood, is declared what? Holy. Declared justified. That's how God sees me. And He accepts me as that. Look at the second thing on how to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Give Christ first place in everything. Give Christ first place in everything. Colossians 1.18, so that He Himself, Jesus, might come to have first place in everything. Now, just a couple of practical points. Give Christ the first thoughts of every day. Give Christ your first thoughts of every day. Isaiah 50, verse 4. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Before you get out of bed in the morning, develop the habit of directing your thoughts to God. Say, good morning, Lord, rather than, good Lord, it's morning already? And and it's a habit that you develop. But you, you begin establishing that habit that, you're, that the moment you wake up, your first thoughts go to God. And just a quick word, Lord, I love you this morning. I'm excited about being able to walk with you. I trust you'll lead me, guide me, and then go forward, then go forward. Also give Christ the first day of every week. Talking about Sundays. On the first day of the week, it says in Acts 27, we gathered with the local believers. Now listen very carefully here. We're not talking about coming to Sunday school, coming to church, and taking advantage of all that as some sort of legalistic duty that's got to weigh you down. Again, it should be a thing of love, of delight. Great illustration. Why do Kathy and I have a date night every single week? I mean, every single week. Thursday night is our date night. And that's the time for Kathy and I, where we get away from the kids, we get away from everything else. Why? Because of the priority of that relationship. It's the time for us to reconnect, to revive the relationship, to deepen our communications, our intimacy, our friendship with one another. Life becomes so busy. There are so many distractions You have to be very deliberate and intentional, saying this is going to be a priority. And you wedge that time out so that it can happen and enhance and grow the relationship. Same thing here. The reason we want to give Christ the first day of every week and the focus is to be on worship and the focus is to be on the preaching and teaching of God's Word is because we love Him and we realize in the busyness of life and all the distractions of life, I need that day where I can focus solely on Him to to reconnect, to be renewed, revived. Also give Christ the first 10% of every paycheck. Again, you've never heard me teach or preach the tithe as some sort of legalistic duty. I've never done that. I believe the tithe is a wonderful starting place for any believer in terms of giving to the Lord. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of all your income. In other words, I do that, again, not out of legalistic duty, but out of delight. 
because of all that he gave to me, now I have the wonderful opportunity to express my love, express my appreciation, just like Dr. Adams prayed in his offertory prayer as an act of worship. I'm saying, yes, I'm declaring you are my owner. Yes, I'm declaring I put my trust in you. I'm not ultimately looking to my job. I'm not ultimately looking to Social Security or whatever it might be. I'm ultimately looking to you to be my provider. And therefore, I trust you. And I give this to you as a demonstration of that trust and expression of my appreciation. And then, of course, give Christ the first consideration in every decision. Proverbs 3, 6. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you what path to take. Bring your decisions to Him. Bring every issue to Him to seek His wisdom, to seek His direction. So how do I surrender to the Lordship of Christ? I present my life as a living sacrifice. I give Christ first place in everything, and then as we close, I obey Christ in all things. I must obey Christ in all things. This is why Jesus said, hey, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I tell you? And here's a definition for, of obedience as we close. Here it is. First, doing exactly what I'm told to do. And I find that in God's Word, James 1. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So doing exactly what I'm told to do when I'm told to do it. Psalm 119, verse 60. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. See, what happens if you don't immediately obey, see, you're touched by a, a, your Sunday school teaching or a, a message or in your devotions, and, and God convicts you and you know you need to take some sort of action, whatever it might be, but if you don't take it immediately, you're going to what? You're going to just forget and you're going to neglect and you'll miss the wonderful opportunity to grow. So doing exactly what I'm told, when I'm told to do it, and this is very, very important, with the right heart attitude. I obey your commandments with all my heart. Psalm 119, 47, 48, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. So doing exactly what I'm told to do, when I'm told to do it, with the right attitude, which, praise God, ushers me into God's glory. John 14, 21, Jesus says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my, uh, my Father will love them. And I will love them, and notice, and reveal myself to each of them. So how do you surrender your life to Christ? You present your life a living sacrifice. You give Christ first place in everything, and you obey Christ in all things. You know, as we go into our invitation now, um, another great illustration, and I'll be very quick with this, of uh, submitting to Christ as Lord and obeying Him is uh, the wonderful encounter that Joshua had with Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, prior to the battle of Jericho. And you remember, he was, he was, this was his first big test as, uh, as a, the new leader. 
and staring right at him is this great military uh, fortress that was considered invincible in biblical days. And uh, old Joshua, he, he gets off by himself on one of these hills that overlook the valley where this military fortress was situated. He's trying to figure it out. Just like, I don't know what you're encountering right now. I don't know what trial, I don't know what adversity you're facing. And we scratch our head. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I mean, do I even have enough resources to get the job done down in that valley? And then all of a sudden, if you're familiar with the story, he notices he's not alone. And he, he would have been startled because he's out in enemy territory. And he turns, and the Bible says all he sees initially is a man with his sword drawn. And so Joshua, he's a great soldier of his own right. Remember, he, under Moses, he was the, the commander of the armies. He goes for his sword, and he asks the logical question, are you for us or are you against us? The thought is, if you're for us, let's join our swords and let's figure out how we're going to win down in that valley. If you're against me, one of us is about to drop on this spot. And then came the response Joshua just wasn't ready for. Are you for us or are you against us? Neither. But as captain of the Lord's host, I am his come, not to take sides, but to take over. Joshua realized he was in the presence of God himself. And he did the only sensible thing you can do. He hit the ground. And he said, the only sensible thing you can say in the presence of God. And here it is. Here's the message in a nutshell today. It says, he bowed down and worshipped. Not legalism. Motivated by love, delight, worship. He bowed down and said, what saith my Lord to his servant? That's the attitude in which we're to live lives, our lives as believers. And then it's amazing, it's in that encounter that he's given the battle plan for Jericho. And folks, it's going to be in surrender to Christ that you're given the battle plan for your life to gain the victory. And then one last thing. How do you know if you're truly surrendered to Christ as Lord? Not difficult to tell you here. Peace. Peace. Is your heart really, really at peace? At rest with God? Because there's no peace without surrender. And if you don't know peace, I'm telling you, the primary issue is surrender to Jesus Christ. And that's what you need to return to this morning. So as the invitation is extended, you just be obedient. They're just right there in your pew, responding to this truth, acknowledging that He is Lord, having your own moment like Joshua, what saith my Lord to His servant, trusting that He will guide, He will lead, and as He does, He'll give you the grace to obey. So please stand as the invitation is extended.